Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now there was a famine in the land. How did Abraham respond to this famine? Unfortunately, he received a giant F, and that F isn't for faith. He fell into disobedience, despair, disaster, and ultimately disgrace. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. The Bible calls Abraham a hero of the faith, but that doesn't mean he never made mistakes. Abraham was flawed, just like all of us, and he made some embarrassing blunders. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about one of Abraham's greatest mistakes involving an unwise detour to the land of Egypt. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. From time to time, you and I have been disappointed with Christian leaders who have betrayed their faith. Maybe it was a moral failure or a departure from biblical truth. Perhaps they decided to go woke and follow the crowd. So here's the question. How do we handle these inevitable moments when godly people do ungodly things? I'm going to address this relevant topic on today's program. And I've also given a complete chapter to this important topic in my brand new book. It's called Walking by Faith. When a one-time hero rocks your faith, it's important to cling to God's truth because, in the end, God never changes nor disappoints. Let me send you a copy of my brand new book, Walking by Faith. You won't find this anywhere other than through Pathway to Victory. And the book is my gift to you when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Again, my new book is called Walking by Faith. And you can request these resources right now by going to ptv.org. David will give all of our contact information and other details just after my message. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Today, I want to speak with you about what to do when godly people do ungodly things. Mark Twain once said, each of us is like the moon. We have a dark side we hope nobody ever sees. Unfortunately, that dark side in each of us is eventually exposed, and the greatest catalyst for that exposure is an unexpected disaster in our life. At least, that's the way it was for Abraham. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12 as we look at what happens when godly people do ungodly things. Last time we began our study of Abraham, he is the example of that one quality God desires most in all of us, and that is faith. Remember the definition of faith? Faith is believing that God will do what he's promised to do and acting accordingly. And Abraham did that. Remember, Abraham was an idol worshiper. There was nothing righteous in him. Uh, he was a worshiper of false gods, and yet God selected Abraham, and he said while he was in Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham, I'm going to do three things for you. I'm going to give you a land that will be yours and your descendants forever. I will make you the father of a great nation, and through you, I will give a blessing, the Messiah who will bless the entire world. 
The Bible says Abraham believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. And so he picked up his family members, his extended family, his servants, his livestock, and off he went to this land without knowing where it was or what it was. And remember, he made it as far as Haran and his father, Terah, said, that's far enough. We've gone far enough. And so they stayed there for 15 years, living in disobedience to God. God didn't say, go to Haran. He said, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And finally, after 15 years, God reiterated that call in Genesis 12 and said, no, you are to go to this land. And Abraham again believed God and he picked up everything and he made that 400 mile trek across the desert until he arrived in Canaan. And he built an altar there. He hadn't talked to God in 15 years, but he built an altar there. And when we finish uh, that story, we find Abraham kneeling at the altar. He was finally in the land of promise, Canaan, what would be Israel today. But what Abraham didn't know was right around the corner, there was waiting for him a test. Uh, Look, if you will, about how this test led to Abraham's, first of all, his disbelief. He had just received this tremendous promise that he was going to be the father of a great nation. Now look at verse 10. They've arrived in Canaan. Now there was a famine in the land. Isn't that interesting? God had blessed Abraham with this great promise, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there comes this gigantic trial in his life. A famine meant that there'd be no water, There'd be no vegetation. Abraham would have no way to feed his family and his livestock. This was a very real need. Now, we shouldn't fault Abraham for being concerned about his family. That's natural. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if any man does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. How did Abraham respond to this famine? Unfortunately, he received a giant F, and that F isn't for faith. He fell into disobedience, despair, disaster, and ultimately disgrace. And so that we don't make the same mistake Abraham made, I want you, as we begin this message, to picture right now a challenge you're facing in your life. It may be a challenge with a child or a grandchild. It may be a financial need. It might be a physical problem with you or somebody you care about. Do you believe the same God who's been faithful in the past to you will be faithful to you now? Is God still alive? Is God still working? Can you really trust in God Be thinking about that as we go through this story of Abraham. Abraham concluded God wasn't capable. And so his disbelief turned into disobedience. Look again at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abraham went to Egypt. Now God had commanded Abraham to come to Canaan. There's no record that God said to Abram, go down to Egypt. That was his idea. Please note, again, Abraham's motive was pure. He was trying to provide for his family. So 
he honestly assessed the situation. No rain means no food. No food means no animals and eventually no us. That was an accurate assessment. He also used logic. He said, you know, we're in this strange land surrounded by Canaanites who don't want us here anyway. So it's logical to conclude they're not gonna help us get food. There's nothing wrong with assessing your situation, whatever the challenge is. There's nothing wrong with using logic. But here's the mistake Abraham made that we all make at some point. He calculated without God. Now, I'm going to give you two points here about worry. It's not on your outline. Just write it in somewhere. The basis of all worry is, first of all, calculating without God. Looking at the situation, using logic, but never thinking about what if God supernaturally intervened in this situation? You know, that's the mistake the disciples made when they were with Jesus. They had a crowd of over 5,000 to listen to Jesus teach, and the sermon was running a little long, and it was getting ready to be dinner time. And the disciples rightly concluded, these people are going to be hungry, and they're going to depend upon us to feed them. They assessed the situation properly. They calculated logically that five loaves and two fish would not be enough to feed a group of more than 5,000, but they forgot whom they were listening to, God himself. They failed to add God to the equation. Do you know what Abraham should have done when he saw this famine in the land and began to worry about it? He should have thrown that problem right back into God's lap. He should have said, God, this is your problem. You're the one who said, I'm going to be the father of a great nation. I'm about to die here. So if you don't take care of this situation, it's your name, not my name, that is going to be blasphemed among the Gentiles. You say, well, you shouldn't pray that way. Oh, yeah. Look in the Bible at those kind of prayers. David all the time was praying, Lord, destroy my enemies, lest they defile your name and your reputation be sullied. Or remember Moses, God was so tired of the Israelites in the book of Number and their unbelief. He said, I'm going to destroy them and start over again with a new nation. And Moses intervened in Numbers 14. He said, God, you can't do that. If you do that, your name will be blasphemed. You'll be seen as a God who can't keep his promises. No, that leads us to the second statement about worry. Worry is assuming responsibility God never intended us to have. Assuming responsibility that belongs to God. Whenever we start worrying about the things God is responsible for, we're gonna get uh, burdened down with anxiety. Let me just be real practical here for a moment. Parents, the Bible says we're responsible for training our children in the Word of God. But have you noticed you can't control the responses of your children or your grandchildren? You can teach them, you can encourage them, you can counsel them, but they ultimately have to make a choice, and you're not responsible for the choice. I mean, God didn't even control the choices of his first two children. They both rebelled in the Garden of Eden. Whenever you try to assume responsibility for your children's choices, you're going to be filled with worry. Or single adults listening to me right now, maybe you believe it's God's will for you to be married, 
Yes, God has given some requirements for selecting a mate that we'll look at in a few weeks. God's given those. We ought to follow those. But ultimately, it's not your responsibility to find a mate. If God wants you to be married, he's the one who's responsible for bringing that mate into your life. I'm just saying to you, the basis of all worry is assuming responsibility that belongs to God. We can't handle that. And what happens is, whenever we feel like we are responsible, that leads us to take shortcuts. It leads us to disobedience. Anytime we assume responsibility that belongs to God, we're going to be led to do ungodly things. And that led, that disobedience led to Abraham's despair. Disbelief turns into disobedience, and disobedience leads to despair or fear. Now listen to me. When you conclude that God's not capable of meeting your need, of taking care of you, then you feel like you're all by yourself. And if you feel like you're all by yourself in this universe, you're going to be frightened by any and everything that happens. Because you realize we live in a random universe, or you think we do. You realize you're just subject to whatever anybody or any circumstance wants to do to you. And you become fearful because you don't want to live alone in this world. I think of Jonathan Edwards' comment, the unrighteous tremble at the rustling of the leaves. People who aren't trusting in God, who aren't convinced of God's power, will tremble at everything that happens. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. He decided he was responsible for his safety and survival. And so what happens? Verse 11, when they came near to Egypt, Abraham said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. That's always a good way to start with your wife. But boy, he messes up here in a moment. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So here's Abraham's proposal. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Abraham is not gonna qualify as husband of the year. He would never be interviewed on Focus on the Family on how to build a strong marriage. He messed up. There were two things wrong with Abraham's proposal. First of all, he was encouraging her to tell a half-truth. Now, the fact is, Sarah was his half-sister. They had the same father, different mother, and I know that creates a lot of questions and a lot of yuck. That's, you know so disgusting, so forth. Remember, polygamy was never part of God's original plan. God's plan was originally one man with one woman for life, Adam and Eve. But because of the hardness of man's heart, he fell into polygamy, and God tried to regulate it, never approved of it. But the fact is, Sarai was Abram's half-sister, not his sister. But the second thing was, the second problem is, his proposal was based on selfishness. Please do this so that it might go well with me and that I may live. Now, here's what's interesting. When this finally happened, look at what happened in verses 14 and 15. 
And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. In other words, she was going to be a part of his harem. Now, here's what I want you to notice about Abraham. His disobedience to God in going to Egypt really boxed him in. He only had two choices, and neither of them was any good. He could tell the truth and be killed, or he could tell a lie and live and yet still lose his wife, Sarah. Neither was a good option. But then the story takes an unexpected twist in verse 16. Therefore, he, that is Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. He treated him well. That Hebrew word yatab is the same word used in verse 13 when Abram's talking to his wife and says, please lie that it may go well for me. Well, here we see it went well for Abraham. Pharaoh blessed him, gave him livestock and servants. Who says sin doesn't pay? Abraham ended up pretty good here, right? Only for a season. Proverbs 10 verse 2 says, ill-gotten gains do not profit. You know, it's interesting from this point on, everything, every possession Abram received from Egypt turned out to be a curse to him. For example, it caused a rift with his nephew Lot that we'll look at in a few weeks. But something I had never seen before, maybe you all have seen this before. It says that he received female servants from Pharaoh. One of those female servants he received from Pharaoh was a woman named Hagar. When Hagar came to Abram's house, it was complete turmoil. And we'll see what happened in a few weeks with that. What I'm saying is ill-gotten gains do not add something positive to our life. Eventually, they turn out to be what they are. Abram's life was a living illustration of that truth. But you know what? The fact is, as he counted his new livestock, he counted his new servants, it was painfully obvious that something was missing and that someone was Sarah. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses life or his wife or his children? And yet, even though Abraham had abandoned Sarai, God hadn't abandoned her. Look at verse 17. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. We don't know what these plagues were, but it obviously kept Pharaoh from having intercourse with Sarai. Alan Ross, the Old Testament commentator, says this is a good illustration of how seriously God takes the marriage covenant. He writes, if God goes to such great lengths to preserve the purity of the marriage covenant, we too should make every effort to protect the holiness of our marriage. Isn't that a great insight? God protected Sarai for her benefit, but also for his reputation. He had made an unconditional covenant with Abraham that he would make him the father of a great nation, and that nation uh, would come through Sarai, his wife. 
God wasn't about to allow his reputation to be tarnished. So what happened? You have Abraham's disbelief turning into disobedience. Disobedience turned to disaster and to despair. And finally, we see Abraham's disgrace. Look at verse 18. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? I think he was complaining about the plague he had just experienced. What is it you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her from my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Scram, get out of here as quickly as you can. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. You know, it's one thing to be rebuked by a fellow Christian when they call us on something, but the ultimate humiliation is to have your behavior rebuked by an unbeliever. And yet it happens all the time and the cause of Christianity suffers because of it. A non-Christian teacher can't believe that a student who professes to be a Christian is the one who cheats on the exam or plagiarizes a paper. A businessman who's not a believer can't believe it's this Christian who goes to church every Sunday who pads the expense account and uh, embezzles money from the company. I've heard this before, non-Christian judges who can't believe how frequently Christians are ready to dissolve their marriages in order to find somebody else that will make them happy. That kind of behavior blasphemes the name and the reputation of God. The real question we all face is, can God be trusted to take care of us? If we conclude no, that disbelief turns into disobedience, that disobedience turns into despair, disaster, and ultimately disgrace, not just for us, but for the cause of Christ. Are you going to trust God? Abraham almost lost everything because he concluded God's not capable. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great Bible expositor, said every trial that comes into our life is like a coin. It has both a head and a tail. That trial can drive you toward God and closer to God, or it can drive you further away from God. Which will it be for you? Some of the messages that I share on Pathway to Victory are split into two programs. Today, however, my original presentation had to be cut down in order to fit into our half-hour requirements. All to say, when you request the audio CDs and video DVDs, you'll receive the unabridged, unedited version. In a moment, David will share all the details with you. But first, I want to be sure you're among those who receives my brand new book. It's the one I wrote while preparing this biographical study of Abraham. My new book is called Walking by Faith. You know, well-meaning Christians often believe that faith begins and ends at salvation. And that's only partially true. Faith does begin when we place our trust in Jesus, but it certainly shouldn't end there. Actually, the gospel is something we live out every day. And in my new book, I share with you what walking by faith actually looks like. 
I want you to own your own copy of my book. Again, it's called Walking by Faith, and it's yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Please keep in mind, this is not a sales transaction. When you give to Pathway to Victory, you're investing in this ministry so that others learn how to walk in faith just as you have. By the way, during the summer months, sometimes the vacation schedule disrupts our regular giving. If it's been some time since you've supported Pathway to Victory, or maybe you've never given a gift, please let us hear from you today. Your gift, whether big or small, will make all the difference as we continue to shine as a beacon of hope in a world that's longing to hear the truth. Thanks so much for responding today. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request the brand new book, Walking by Faith, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Give us a call at 866-999-2965 or visit our website. That's at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Walking by Faith teaching series. Plus, we'll send you a study guide to use for group or individual study. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. If you'd like to write, here's the address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us next time when Dr. Jeffress shares what the story of Abraham and his nephew Lot can teach us about the dangers of success. That's Thursday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.